It is now, Lord, a time where our worship can disrupt things because we believe your word changes our lives. So would you keep Satan at bay, let our minds be calmed, and let your word speak to us that we might live for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you think of a leader, a leader, what images come to mind? Strength. My sister said right off the bat, strength. Amen. You might be uh, organized, okay? Honesty. Dang, okay, that's cool. Now, when I think of a, oh, thank you. Somebody said you. <laughs> Sermon done. Good night. <laughs> But, 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 but I begin to think of images. I begin to think of actual people. I begin to have this silhouette of a person or an actual face. And maybe you first think of a famous athlete that's known all over the world. Or maybe you think of a, uh, a brilliant professor. and She's known all over the globe for the area in which she specializes in. Maybe it's a family member or someone that has walked with you and shown you what the beautiful image of leadership looks like. Today, as we dive in our text in Nehemiah, we're going to unpack leadership. But the Bible and Nehemiah gives a little bit different perspective on leadership than maybe that which we're used to. So if you would, please turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 11. I hope that a Bible is near your knees. If not, raise your hand. And one of my uh, amazing servants, which is anybody in the room that sees somebody with their hand raised, will bring you a Bible. (laughs) We're currently in our series, our series on revival as we've looked in this, this book of Nehemiah. We remember, and and I I probably have said this enough times, but I'm going to say it again because I want it to be like just lodged in your mind that if this podium is God in his beautiful presence, if this podium is God in his great splendor, when you get saved, you are connected to God and right with him like this. There is an intimacy. There is a closeness There is a bond that is so solid when you first come to know the Lord. But over time, we begin to fight this fight of faith, and we make decisions that please God, and then we make a few decisions that don't, and then another that pleases it, and another that don't. And and what we begin to see happen is our spiritual faith that that was filled with this fervor begins to be lulled to sleep over time. And we still love them. We still know them. But that intimacy, that close connection is, what's, is what we miss. And as we've been studying Nehemiah, what brings forth a newness in that connection is the concept revival. It means to awaken, to breathe life back in, to, to make you alive again and get you right back near, right back intimate, right back close with this God. And so we know that there's an image of the beautiful revival that happens in Acts. And that one is one of these great, amazing miracles. Beautiful. But Nehemiah actually shows us what revival looks like over time. 
when people make conscious decisions led by God to be revived. He says, I want you to read your Bible again. And they say, get the book, read from it. He says, I want you to be a people that confess that when you sin and when you've broken the heart of God, that you will let God know that you repent and apologize for the pain you've caused and that you don't want to do that again. He talks about the, 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 the beauty of what it looks like to enter into a covenant together that is not just me and my own religion, but I'm a part of something bigger, and we as a group commit to being about God's purposes, God's laws, and God's ways. Revival. And then we also, as a family, say that it's important to serve, to love, to care, but man, we've got to have rest. What does Sabbath rest look like? It's revival. Revival in Nehemiah looks a little different than Acts. Revival in Nehemiah is you making these decisions that are steps incrementally towards a closeness with Christ. And it's not as beautiful Everybody don't start hearing the same language, even though they speak in something different. It's not as sexy. It actually, it's a lot of hard work to see revival happen. Maybe I'm alone, but when I want to watch the game and I hear God say, I need you to read your word, I don't want to read. Come on. <laughs> when I know that I should be in the midst of Christian community and thriving and sometimes I just want to retreat because I know that you have a word for me that I need to hear. It, it ain't always easy, is it? And so Nehemiah gives us this picture of incremental steps of what it looks like to see the community of Christ revived. And so today, he's going to revive our understanding of what leadership looks like in community. We're in chapter 11. We're in chapter 11. And we're just going to start there. Now, we as a church typically preach through an entire chapter or entire text, every aspect of it. So while you hear me make some main points, I usually read through it all. This week, I'm going to do it a little bit differently because the amount of names in here would just have y'all laughing at me because I'm not going to pronounce them right. And then you're going to fall asleep. Because I'm saying Malkikadak, Malkakadak, Malkukadak. See, I don't want that for you right now. So will you roll, roll I know, right? So will you roll with me and be okay? We're going to jump around a little bit. But it is not because we view the Bible any less because there's a list of names. It's because in, in, in jumping, the, the actual themes I'm going to show you cover a group of names together. Amen. Amen. Chapter 11, starting with verse 1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring out one of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. You remember back Nehemiah in chapter 2 is like, hey, God's given me this vision. We're going to see the community rebuilt. Ezra already started with the temple. Now I'm going to do this with the community. I need some folks. And some folks respond and say, let us build. We are down. Let's roll, Nehemiah. So God raised up leaders in verse 1. But then there's some more help that's needed. 
you see the city, and I got, I got to give you the background. And it's a background that we know well that actually we can relate maybe a little bit too much. It's a background where the people were at once a thriving nation, and then they disobeyed God. In disobeying God, the Persian army comes in and says, boom, I'm destroying your neighborhoods. All of y'all, out. Actually, I'm not even going to let all y'all stay together, because if I let all y'all stay together, you're going to be too powerful. So I'm going to split you up all over. And then their community is destroyed. And so there's some people who respond with Nehemiah that say, yeah, let's ride. I'm going to go help. That's a small group. Then we get in verse one and the rest of the people cast lots to bring out the uh, to bring one out of 10 to live in Jerusalem, the holy city. So, so this is what happened. Imagine. Let's take your mind off of that Powerball. Imagine like dice. Each person has a number on the dice. And now we start rolling the dice. And whoever's number come up, you got to move. You, you, you got to go. You are going to be a representative of our people to go help rebuild the city. Now, notice what it says in verse 2. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Why, why would the people bless others who went? Yeah, yeah. But also because of that, uh, that analogy that I just shared with you was also real for them. If I literally gave every person a number in here and shook the dice and said, okay, when your number's called, you got to move, how would, how would you respond? How, how would you respond? It's been 70 years. No one has lived in this city. We now live in another city, and we've built a new life here. Our kids are in school here. We got our, our connections here. It ain't home, but it's home now. And now my number could be called. And the, and the crazy part of it is, is while it was disruptive, it was also seen as worship. Because the casting of lots is these people saying, if he calls my number, he wants me to do it. If he calls my number, he, he wants me to go. We don't, we don't do a cast lot system today. We have a Holy Spirit that lives within us. But one of my desires, one of our desires as an elder team is to see believers matured by faith that we would still respond in the same way where our ear listens to say, Holy Spirit, if you call my number, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And I've seen that look in a variety of ways, even within this body, from caring for people to, to man, even today's prayer request of, of somebody laboring in a silence that was 40 years and God doing something in a relationship restored. Like, like, I've seen what it looks like for people to have their number called and they go, let that be your posture as a leader. And so they cast lots and folks went. But I, I, I got I to help you understand with accuracy, the historical context and how it connects with us, but how it differs. The historical context is this. It is that the people that we are talking about were first the people of God. That is what unified them. 
Second, what unified them was that they were displaced, okay? People of God been displaced. So in this type of flow, in this type of setup, it would be similar to our Detroit history in the sense that, that we have had, and, and uh, I'm, I'm, I looked at a few different articles, so Bernadette, don't beat me up if I get my numbers wrong, but I looked at a few different articles. Over the years, it has been said that a third of all housing in Detroit has been lost to foreclosure, whether that's bank foreclosure, tax auction foreclosure, Wayne County, you add them all up, a third. That a third of that third was people living in their homes. We're not just talking about the abandoned homes, we're talking about people who was in their home now displaced. In, in Nehemiah's day, that same thing happened. People were displaced. And with a Nehemiah mindset, then the only people who are coming back are those that were displaced. Because those were the people of God, and those were the folks displaced. Now, today, there's a new definition of what it means to be the church. Because, remember, it was first the people of God, but the people of God at that time in this history, in this moment, was just the people of Israel. And God has said, y'all are starting to be so disobedient, I need to preserve my people because I've called y'all out for something separate. I've called you to represent me to the world and y'all ain't doing it. So you know what? I got to get you from your wild cousins. I got to get you from your wild friends. I got to get you from all these influences. I need you just alone. But now, today, because of Christ, the church doesn't look like that anymore. The church is not this race of people. The church is defined by the beautiful, beautiful. What does that mean? <laughs> is that a cuticle and beautiful put together? I don't know. <laughs> by the beautiful church. And so when we read Ephesians 2, 13 and 14, it says, but now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We are one now. We are one. So in us being one now, we have to ask the question, so what does it look like for, the, for God's church now, which is one, to, look, to repopulate a city? Because like Nehemiah, there still is a great need and a great number of homes that need to be filled and a city that needs to be filled to be able to thrive. But we have to consider what does it look like to be servant leaders in that? And this is where I see God continuing to speak to us through this text. So continue with me in chapter 2. Um, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 3. And we're going to jump down. So it says, verse 3, these are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem, but in towns of Judah, everyone lived on his, own, on his property in their towns, Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lives certain of the sons of Judah, and of the sons of Benjamin, of the sons of Judah, 
Uh, and then we're going to skip down to verse 6. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were valiant men. Valiant, this, this idea of courage, this idea of having a, a, a willingness to, to do what you might not desire to, but you do it for a greater good anyway, this, this courage. As I start trying to list different aspects of how I believe this text speaks to us, the first one is that leadership is courageous. But courage looks very different. Courage looks very different. In their minds, courage was on one hand, I'm building the city with a tool. And I'm putting the brick and the mortar up on this hand. On the other hand, I got a shank or a knife or a sword just in case somebody ready to come on over here. Because I'm ready to fight to make sure that my community is rebuilt, but I'm also ready to contribute to make sure that my community is rebuilt. And so the valiance there, you see a courage where they're willing to fight. But I've, I've seen that courage take place within our local community. I have seen, uh, uh, as we go out and do these outreaches, I've seen the, the aspect of some of our black families that are from our community go out and do outreach. And as they're walking down these streets, these are streets that remind them of pain. Streets where they remember a friend being robbed. Streets where they remember a person being attacked. Streets where they remember the first time they were in a fight. And now they're walking down those streets with their white and black and Asian friends to pass out flyers. I've seen in our community a courage that happens in my white brothers and sisters and my Asian brothers and sisters but specifically, I'm thinking of a few families that are white where their family members, because of their choice to live here, still love them, still care for them, but won't visit them, won't, won't come see them. You see, being a leader takes courage. It may not look like the soldier on top of the battlefield, but courage is exemplified. It comes out of you in a variety of ways, and it might not always look like TV sells it, but Christ-centered courage flows from a response to that call when he calls your number. And so we continue on. Continue with me, starting in verse... 11, well, excuse me, verse 10, of the priests, Jedediah, the son of Joyarib, Jachin, Sariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Meshalam, the son of Zadok, son of Marioth, son of Ahitab, ruler of the house of God, and their brothers who did the work of the house. The work of the house. This is a, a list of, of the work crew. The, the, the work crew, you got 822 people down to make sure that the church building is flowing. Frank, that's the type of crew we need, man. We could put a couple new roofs on this bad boy, dig a new foundation, 822 people. We can do whatever, you know? I was, uh, I was laughing because um, I start like my mind just trails off into stuff. And I'm like, what's the biggest church in America? And I think right now it's um, Joel Osteen. And I think on staff he has... 300. 
they had 822. <laughs> they wasn't playing. But the work of the house is serious. And, uh, and, and I, I want to tell you about the life of a man, a man that I met when I was in grad school. I was, uh, I, I think I remember this correctly in that I was sitting down in a lunchroom and I saw him eating and I went over and we started talking. Uh, this man's name was Aaron Wheeler Sr. Uh, I want to just share just a snippet of his life with you. Uh, Aaron asked for a Bible at the age of eight and learned the power of prayer at 10. While in college at the University of Arkansas, where he earned a bachelor's degree in social work, he became a civil rights activist and marched along Martin Luther King Jr. A Southern Baptist preacher for 30 years, he advised and prayed with Presidents Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, and both Bushes, as well as Scott Rigel, the, former, the formerly in the U.S. House of Representatives for the 2nd Congressional District of Virginia. Uh, the Rev, as many people called him, uh, moved to, excuse me, lives in Fernwood Farms, the neighborhood of Great Bridge with his wife Barbara, a uh, hospice nurse, and the love of his life. When she developed a brain aneurysm with poor prognosis and wanted to walk on the beach while she could, uh, the couple moved to Virginia Beach from Cleveland, Ohio, where Rila grew up with his seven brothers and sisters in a religious home. He left his position as the head of the Ohio Civil Rights Commission to take care of his wife. Four surgeries and 10 years later, she is well. Now they are dealing with another serious health issue. He has stage four cancer with inoperable tumors in three parts of his body diagnosed in 2016. As I found this article about Pastor Wheeler, uh, the end of the article says that he went on to be with the Lord. Well, it doesn't say that here. I actually found his obituary because I was just thinking of him. And it says he went on to be with the Lord in May of this year. And I could read for you three more pages of accolades of this man. The thing that I remember most from Aaron Wheeler's life as I was able to sit under him for a year is that he told me no pastor is above cleaning the toilets. He said, if any man should lead a church, you need to be able to be willing to do what is seen as the dirtiest thing in the house. You need to be willing to clean the toilets. He's, he's connected with presidents, y'all. He's talked with so many people. The, the, the work of God's house is not always something that is beautiful and pretty. At times, it is dirty. But that's what it's like to be a true servant of the king. A servant leader isn't trying to ask, how is my name put forth as the greatest servant today? Servants see an outage and say, man, when you come in this house, you might think that we're not a place of excellence that wants to worship the Lord just by how clean we keep things. You know what? <laughs> I'm going to go clean this toilet right quick. Learned a lot from that man. We continue to see an expression of that take place actually within this text. Look with me at verse 15. And of the Levites... Shemaiah, the son of Hashub, the son of Azariakam, son of Hashabiah, son of Bunai, uh, and Shabbatai, and Josabad, of the chiefs of the Levites, who were over the outside work of the house. 
The, this is the Levites. The, the Levites was the crew. The Levites were the ones that represented you. The Levites were the ones that when it was time for the community to pray and we wanted our prayers heard to God for, from God, the Levites were the ones who went and did the praying for you. So if, so if there's anybody who's got the stature, the high position in the church, it's the Levites. And what this says is that some Levites was in charge of cutting the grass. Some Levites was in charge of sweeping that snow. Some Levites put the bulletins out. You know, the, the, that, that with their stature and their ability, they also had a humility. A humility. So in verse 17, and Madaniah, the son of Micah, son of Zabdi, son of Asaph, who was the leader of praise and who gave thanks. Leader of praise and gave thanks. You know, uh, I, I love that this shows another aspect of leadership, that also there are skill sets with leadership. For some reason, every time we try to vote on me singing, the worship team don't want to let our brother get the mic. <laughs> What's wrong with them? No. <laughs> But, but that there are some ways in which God has wired us, some giftings God has given us, some abilities that in leadership I may have and you may not, and you may have and I may not. And that that's beautiful. We need to be able to celebrate that. That all of us can't do everything. I, I got I to gotta, I gotta pause for a second because... My wife said something to me the other day. She said, hey, um, when you're done preaching, how do you feel? And the reality was, like, I, I, I probably shouldn't tell y'all this, but I just feel like my heart is open. And you could say, thank you, pastor. That's encouraging. And it, like, feed me. Or you could say, man, I didn't know what you was talking about. And I could be like, oh, goodness. I'm, like, <laughs> defeated. And I shouldn't tell you that because I, I really don't want to, I don't want to, like, contrive or manipulate you. You know, like, say the real, God is good. He will handle us both and care for us. Uh, but, I, but I see our worship team up here every week trying it before the Lord. And I know that I have not done the best job at praising them for that type of feat. Definitely my wife. I'm sorry to do that in front of everybody. Love you, baby. Sorry. Um, but, I, but I'm, but, but, but this is a skill set, one that, that as a leader is brought before the congregation, and I just want to encourage us all to be praying for our prayer team, our praise team, excuse me, our praise team. But I love that accompanied with praise is the reality of prayer. That, that's what this thankfulness is. It is thanking God that he is in control, that he is above us, that he can actually do it even in our frailness and the ways in which we come up short every time we approach. God can say, ha, 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 I can make up that difference. And we thank him for it. I, um, I'm, I'm excited 
for how our church continues to love one another and serve one another. And we do life in, in mat groups. And if you want to grow in this body, we would love to talk to you about what discipleship looks like and what it looks like to grow within this family. But for, for one moment, I want to just ask a question, maybe a dangerous question for you. If, if Sunday worship, and this is not what it means to be a believer, so let me make sure I clarify that. It's not mean to be a believer just to come to church on Sunday. But if Sunday worship were the only thing that you did at this moment, and I said, what does it look like for the Lord to use the way he has wired you or used your leadership skills or used you seeing an outage in our church that you would want to respond to, what would you do? What, what would you do? What would your response be? I know some people would say, man, I see our youth aren't connecting with our church. Maybe I would spend more time trying to connect with our youth outside of church so they would feel more of an easy way to come on in. Maybe some of you might say, Pastor, I love proclaiming God's word. And if you would have me, I'd love to preach sometime to our body. Like, like, like. We are used by God, and he wants to set us afire, and I'm excited to see how God continues to do that. But family, I don't want us to stop dreaming, to stop listening for, Lord, how are you calling me? You're calling me to lead. If there's any place within our nation that if you want to come into the place and be welcomed, received, and encouraged in your leadership abilities, it is the church. It is the church. My sister? Oh, and what she's doing is not crazy. We are okay with people asking questions in this local body as long as your question is edifying to the whole church. If you have a personal question, please see me afterwards. I would love to bless you, and I'm just letting you know, if I don't have an answer, I'm going to say I don't know. Sister. Great question. She says, are we erasing the gender line or is this text primarily for men? Let me say two things. One, uh, the gender line is one that God has created but how, so that there is a difference between men and women. But how we discuss and celebrate men and women is a church perspective. And so my prayer and our prayer as elders is that no woman will ever feel less than a man in this congregation. And we are trying to talk through how do we make sure that that is the case, that we are equals, God has created us equally. Now, what that looks like in expressions of worship, I think we need to discuss that because there's different worship styles, different worship giftings, different worship, and we need to, we need to talk through that more thoroughly. But what, it, but what is our heart? And what do I believe this text is saying? I believe this text is leading, I mean, in this context, it was men. It was like, yeah, that's what it was. But I hope that you see me trying to bridge the gap between the church today that Christ has died for and making us one. And then also, we definitely hope to celebrate the beauty and the creation that, of women in our church. Amen. Amen. Great question, sis. Um, great question. You know, you got me all off, though. All right. Um, <laughs> So how, how does this all connect to worship? I mean, excuse me, to revival. 
Just as we said before, revival is this recommitment to the faith in, in, in reading your word. It's a, a commitment to confession. It's a commitment of giving your time and your finances, as we, as we talked about last week. It's a commitment to, to being in community, a covenant community, and it's a recommitment to leading through service. A servant's heart as a leader. But being a servant is not always glamorous. Check out uh, verse 19. The gatekeepers, Akub, Talman, and their brothers who kept watch at the gates were 172. I'm about to go deep on y'all. What do you think the gatekeeper, what do y'all think the gatekeepers did? Watch the gates. <laughs> Servant leadership is not always glamorous. Sometimes it's quite basic, quite simple. Might even be like monotonous. People come in, people come out. People come in, people come out. But it's vital. I mean, they were the ones who would sound the horn if there was another army coming to overthrow everyone. So while their role might seem boring and simple, if they fall asleep on their role, we all done. So don't don't take because you're not up front doing the singing and praising, which was just mentioned, that you being a gatekeeper is any less than. Being a leader in a community is first and foremost unto God. And when it's unto God, we see our worth and our value in it because we're glorifying him. And so lastly, um, verse 23. For there was a command from the king concerning them, and the fixed provision of the singers is every day required, and Pathahia the son of Meshelzebel, and the sons of Zerah, the son of Judah, was at the king's side in all matters concerning the people. What, what this also says is that the king had some of the Jews, some of the people still around him caring for him. Remember, the king sent Nehemiah. Go ahead, handle that. But the king had an organization, a crew, a whole bunch of people that made sure his kingdom still thrived. And some of those people who loved the Lord stayed. Some of those people did not return to Jerusalem. Some of those people continued to see his kingdom flourish. And, and I, 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 I kind of love this because what it says to me, as I'm trying to understand the crazy diversity of God's world, and I pray it's not just me alone, uh, as I've been looking at different commentaries, but just that, that church and doing life and all this community stuff and joining in, a, in, in the city and all these things are great, but it ain't for everybody. Some people, it's okay if they stay in the suburbs. And we ought not look down upon them or see them as less than because God is still using them to advance his kingdom in that community. We, 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 what? We, we, we just talked about all this servant leadership and then somehow because we doing life here, we, God is faithful to use each of us as leaders 
And some of those folks will be partners with us. Some of those folks will come be like, Mac, what you all about? Mm, y'all talking about getting each other's lives, doing lying, all of it, I'm back. You know, and that's okay. That's okay. And, I, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, my heart has grown more in this. But I think there, there's beauty even in, in leaders letting people lead differently than them. Letting people serve differently than them. It's a dangerous thing to talk about because, you know, there's always needs within our church. And our church has been so faithful to respond to stuff. Folks jump up and help with Mac kids and tutoring kids at Mac Lit and, uh, man, Harvest Party just off the chain. So, so we have a lot of opportunities to care and serve for one another, but, but we also got to hold what the church is asking of you and also give you freedom to say, but, and what is God asking of you? Because sometimes those things align and they bless us greatly. Sometimes they don't. And how God is using you might be on your block instead of primarily in these walls. And sometimes it's a bridge between the two. I don't know. All I'm saying is I'm excited to see us trust God for calling in you a spirit that will respond to him and say, Father, if I'm, if I'm living 100% for you right now, praise the Lord. Let this revival that you've done in me draw me close to you. Have me near you. And I want to keep listening to your marching orders. But if not, and I'm far away, give me an ear to hear, Holy Spirit, that when you do speak, I will respond in faithfulness, not to try to celebrate my own self, but to be a servant leader, to be a humble servant leader. The, uh, Luke says, you know what, I think instead of Luke, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with Philippians 2. Philippians 2 says this of our, of our, of our Savior. And you don't, I don't think it's up here. You don't have that. But I, but I pray that as I read about 10 verses, that you not get lost in the 10 verses, that you would hear these as I conclude. Philippians 2 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who And listen to these next three verses specifically who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you are present today, And we have talked a lot about servant leadership, what it looks like to be a leader, all these characteristics of humility and posture. Please know the greatest act of service that has ever happened was that our sins were paid for by the blood of Jesus who died on our behalf. And that death gives you freedom. 
if you today are still wondering about this God and you have not yet accepted him into your heart, we want to be a church that will walk with you in that. But we also want to be a church that preaches truth to you. That for whatever reason, whether it's Satan, whether it's yourself, whether it's the world, you are not experiencing a freedom that the Lord would have. You are actually in a bondage where you are choosing to lead your own life. And Christ's death is what frees you from that bondage. We want that for you. If you would like to talk more about that freedom, about that joy, about the reason why we sing and do all of this, I will be standing up here after service. Please come and talk to me. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you.